Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, before we start, we want to let you all know that we're doing another live show. It's going to be on Wednesday, March 20th at 7 p.m. at the Lee Strasberg Theater in West Hollywood. We're going to have a casting panel where we're going to speak to TV, film, and commercial casting directors about how to get great actors into your work. We'll cover audition techniques from both director and actor sides and learn what directors can do to find the perfect actors for their projects. And we're also going to have refreshments and lots of schmoozing time. Tickets are free for any patron tier on Patreon. Or it's just five bucks on Eventbrite. But seating is limited, so make sure you get your tickets. Check it out at live.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 389th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Jack Meggers. Jack upped his Patreon pledge. Amazing. We haven't seen that type of crafty filmmaking-related patronage for at least a few weeks. Thanks, Jack. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Unlow. Today, we've got Sara Bimji on the show. She's a film professor and a longtime listener who reached out to us to talk to us about kind of an underappreciated side hustle in the filmmaking world that we haven't really covered in all of our episodes of podcasting. Um, so when she reached out, we were like, oh, yeah, we should talk more about education, teaching film as a, as a business and craft to uh, young people is her bread and butter as she pursues her uh, own independent projects as well and lives a nice good life with like benefits and stuff yeah in the most expensive area in the world (laughs) that's right (laughs) the bay area she emailed and she pitched this idea and i was like i wonder if matt's gonna go for this i mean you you have been working in film education a little bit uh the past year and i have been kind of always enjoyed it i mean this podcast is in a way you know very very sure, light version, version of it yeah of film yeah. education um and so we thought yeah i mean i don't know about you but i have like a lot of friends that i came up with in the film industry that have spent time like being mm-hmm. teaching or being professors or or a lot like as consultants like hey i'll mm-hmm. help you figure out how to package your movie or how to mm-hmm. land auditions or whatever it is um so like film education is obviously a thing that a lot of filmmakers know about, but we really dive in deep in terms of whether you want to be a full-time professor and you, mm-hmm. you love filmmaking, but you would actually prefer having like a stable job with health insurance and you still get to make films, but also educate kind of the next generation of filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And we, we go pretty deep on what it takes, what the requirements are, how to get into it, um, how much money you might make. But to me, the best part is that Sarah is not only a film professor, she's also self-professor of loving Just Shoot It. She has uh, been listening since you and I collectively had zero children. That's true. Yeah. And now we have three. Yeah. No, a really great conversation. I always like when we manage to balance the kind of more abstract philosophical parts of a conversation with hard facts. 
and we get to do a little bit of both. We talk about the ideas behind and the fulfillment behind educating the next generation of filmmakers. And we also are like, but how much money do you make really? Is it worth it? <laughs> um, right. Which is a nice balance, you know, because I think you want to know the answers to both. Sara really approaches it with the intent of how can you make this a career that sustains and supports your filmmaking? Yeah. Sarah's like the real deal. She's like a tenured yeah. film professor with yeah. an MFA and has taught at many different universities and all those things. But I think for someone like you or me, who is interested more as kind of like a fun side job teaching film, uh, there is something nice about in this industry where it's like feast or famine and it, you know, we have such highs and such lows. It's nice to find another fulfilling job that maybe is a little bit more reliable. And my guess is part of what you like about Lee Strasberg is it's there every week, you know, whether, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whether you did anything about it or not. Um, mm -hmm. And there's something nice about the, you know, finding some routine in our lives. So it's a really fun conversation. To me, the funniest thing is that Sara was talking to us like any filmmaker could be a film teacher. I do feel like I know many filmmakers that like, I, I can't even get like two notes from them on a script without being like offended. <laughs> like, I feel like there's some people that are just not good <laughs> talking to other people about yeah. what their opinion is of their filmmaking mm -hmm. um, and what they can do better and things like that. So uh, it's interesting, but, but we do delve into what makes a good teacher. And um, I did think it was just about like telling cool war stories. And I guess Sarah thinks there's more to it. than There's that. more to it than that. I think maybe the real takeaway is that like any, any job in the creative realm, you have to love it in order to be good or great at it. Right. Like, sorry, clearly is like, Oh, has a knack for teaching and a knack for filmmaking. So she makes a great filmmaking teacher. It's not, you can't have the attitude that some people have about like commercials or something where it's like, Oh, well I'll just do this to pay the bills. It's not going to work out. Right. Like it's too hard. It's too competitive and it takes too much passion to, to be competitive um, for you not to also love it as well. Otherwise you're really just barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. So I do feel like you just made the pretty clear argument that it is like commercials. <laughs> That's what I'm, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's oh, like commercials in that it requires passion. That people mistake it as, exactly. as a casual side gig when right. in reality, you kind of have to be serious about it. You have to, to be have serious any, about anything. Yeah. Any amount of success. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. I think, um, we're, you know, we'd love to hear from you if, if you like these episodes about the other parts of the film industry and different things we can learn. Let us know or just shoot it pod at gmail.com. And the other way you can communicate with us is you can check out our patreon it's patreon.com slash just shoot it pod oh before you you hit the fast forward 30 seconds yeah yeah the important stuff is coming because there's another way that you can communicate with us and it is in person at our upcoming just shoot it halloween live event yes so we're gonna have a live event in october it's between two dates, but uh, just put it on your calendar as second half of October. If you just block out the whole second half, you'll be good. It will be on a weeknight. Uh, it will be most likely in the Studio City area, and you'll get to go meet other uh, filmmakers. We're going to put together a panel of horror filmmakers, genre filmmakers. Even if you don't like genre or horror stuff, you will still love this. Uh, we will be so drinking excited. and chatting. 
there's going to be a pool there that we probably can't go into. Probably, probably don't want to get into it. Please, no one fall into it. But if you push Oren in, it would be very funny. Yes, um, just let me know before you do it so I can take my AirPods take out of my pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you, do you realize, Oren, that the last live show we had before the pandemic was our Halloween show? Yes, I have like this thing where I only remember the last show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So mm-hmm. I know we've had multiple live shows in the past, but the only one I remember is the Halloween show. It's we the did Halloween at, one, yeah. At the, the what house? The Rita house. The Rita house, yeah. So if you're curious, uh, the, these shows are pretty popular. That last one was standing room only. If you want to make sure that you are up to date and getting all of the firsthand knowledge that you need, our patrons, we're going to tell them all the juicy details, all that hot goss first. Mm-hmm. We will be, they will get a lot of tea spilled mm-hmm. onto their email addresses. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so if you want to be up to date and learn more about the show, the live show coming up in October, go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod to find out more. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think it, and sign up to be a it, Yeah. Sign up a dollar, $2, $4, $27. Be like Jack and just add a dollar to whatever you were giving before. Pretty cool, Jack. Yeah. Pretty cool. Okay. Without further delay, here's some more stuff. Hey, we are here with Sarah Bimji. Welcome to the show. Just shoot it. Thank you. This is definitely like lifetime ambition, I guess. So I'm pretty psyched to be on my favorite podcast of many years. That that was our lifetime ambition is just for someone to say that about our podcast. Yeah, so. we are done. This is our yeah. final episode. <laughs> oh, no, no, I don't want to. I don't want to kill your show now. I would I would have nothing to listen to. Let's dig in a little bit because you emailed us with a pitch and we were like, hey, that's a good topic. Let's dig in on it because we were saying off mic, you were kind of elaborating on your angle. Walk us through why why we're talking. Well, I have listened to Just Shoot It for many, many years. I love it. Um, I just feel like I know you guys, even though this is really my first time meeting you. Um, And I've learned so much from it. We've met. I mean, we've talked. Yeah, I've talked to Oren a couple times and he's uh, talked to my class once, which is really awesome. It's just, you've covered like acting, you've covered so many topics, but you haven't really dug into this like secret career that many people have that I, when I said about being a filmmaker, I was like, I need a master's because I'm not going to be like the next Steven Spielberg, but I want to be an independent filmmaker and I need like a craft Mm -hmm. and it could be like teaching or it could be, you know, I could be, you know, in hair and makeup or, or in editing or something but like for me it was always teaching as like a sort of passion of mine and i just feel like there are people who um have that but they don't really know how to get into it or like Mm -hmm. what it really means and um people just i was so unprepared when i started teaching i feel like there's like very little education about like what it takes to be in academic I don't like saying academia because it sure. sounds like really fancy. And sure, it sounds we're like very you're in down academia to when you say academia. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. not, I'm, I'm not yeah. like well, that. Well, but yeah, no, I love it because it is kind of a side hustle that, or like a survival job when you're doing work that like maybe takes a long time or like, you know, the, all those passion projects. I know a lot of filmmakers who find themselves teaching in all sorts of different capacities and myself. I teach a class at Lee Strasberg in Hollywood for the last 
not quite a year, but but semi regularly for sure. And uh, it's both uh, like a nice little side hustle and very fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so th- I think that's helpful as well to be like, oh yeah, you know, they're a I, little bit of a, a positive attention from a bunch of young people ain't so bad either. It's funny because that that's my one complaint about teaching these young people is that <laughs> Oren subbed for my class once and he was up, truly upset that he didn't get a standing ovation. So I've so, done too much Barry. <laughs> I, I did sub for Matt's class when, and I thought I did. I really honestly tried to, my goal was for them to tell Matt that they missed me um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that I was more fun. Uh, and so I did try to to give them a good experience and an honest experience and um, make it the class fun. And then I also, you know, I try to be brutally honest, not not in a negative way, but I, I try to be insightful and tell people things that maybe they haven't heard from other people. And so when I talked to your class, Sarah, that was fun. And I've done my friend Mitch taught a class. Do, do you know Mitch Altieri? It's like one half of the Butcher Brothers. They mm-hmm. are Bay Area filmmakers. Um, but he was teaching a class at a... Oakland and Oakland. They, they maybe were on our fourth or fifth episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I think I started Before around started like the seventh or eighth, <laughs> so I might have missed that. But um, we it was early. And then our friend Charlie moved to France, and he was teaching, mm-hmm. you know, filmmaking there. Mm-hmm. And I talked to his class, and the one thing that all four of these classes had in common was no standing ovation. Well, I've never gotten a standing ovation, so I don't know what it would take. Um, So, yeah, that might be like too high a standard. But like I did, one of my students just sent me like a card in the mail with like a little filmmaking badge. It was like, just wanted to tell you I had the best semester. And I was like, I'm putting this on my wall. Like, um, so sometimes I get that, but it's very rare. Mostly it's just like, thank you for passing me. I learned a lot. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, no, but, that comment is awesome. I think that if, if we have any film students listening, like you, the people that are teaching you are also artists and creative mm-hmm. people. Like you have no idea how much they would appreciate you telling them like, hey, this was awesome. Like I really enjoyed hearing from you or, or getting yeah. to know about your experience because I think any in any other forum, even when Matt and I would do live shows or whatever, everyone's like, hey, this is, you know, even just talking to you. We feel like what we do makes a difference, but sometimes I think maybe it is it, like undergrads or academia or something. There's a little bit more of like a, hey, I need to take some classes. Film seems interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, this, that was cool. Whatever. Next class, you know. Or in the in the case of the arts in particular, whether it's acting or fine art or, or filmmaking, sometimes the kids have been sold the idea that they are geniuses, that they are the next Steven Spielberg. And so you're filmmaking 101 class or in my case a commercial acting class is merely a speed bump <laughs> on their meteoric rise to success and fame and um we're wasting their time in some way <laughs> right <laughs> I, I think that can be true i've dealt with like hundreds and hundreds of students and they're all pretty different and they have different you know they're there for different reasons and um yeah, so definitely uh, I get a few of those, but not in the um, environment I teach. It's mostly people who genuinely like want to learn mm-hmm. something. Um, Do you teach, are most of your students film majors or? Most they- of my students are film majors. I've taught at like a lot of different 
places over the years. So I've worked with a lot of different kinds of students from people who are just like, um, they're just show up because like their parent told them to show up at some place or, um, you know, people like rediscovering a career and maybe transferring mm-hmm. from a different career and like, are like, I think I want to try filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of that. Um, everything is pretty like introductory level. That's that got to be so refreshing though, right? To like, to teach adults who understand the value of education and appreciate it and are curious and excited. Not that there aren't young people who are like that as well, but like, I feel like when it's your second time around it, you just have a totally different lens for all of education. Yeah. I get like, probably I also get like veterans, which is mm-hmm. always really interesting. Cause they've like, they're so mature. They've mm-hmm. been really great leaders in, in, in a lot of ways. And they're just like extremely focused, mm-hmm. um, which has been great. I've always had really, um, a good time working with veterans and helping them like craft their story or, um, you know, just a lot of people just, I'm one step in like their journey, but it's, it's really nice to work with a huge range of people. And the older students can be really nice. Sometimes the senior citizens, which I get like a couple of, I'm, they, they can be amazing and have like all this nurturing for the community. But they also, sometimes you're like, I think they have a different idea about what college is. And they just like walk in and out however they want. And it can be really hard to like have a group dynamic with like an 80 year old and an 18 year old, but Mm -hmm. I try. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I I will admit that um, going back to the standing ovation for Oren, I told all of the students um, that Oren was a monster um, (laughs) as a joke. Yeah. Because I'm very dry. And then when I came back after he taught the class, the main feedback was, you said that he was a monster. He was very nice. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I kind of set them off accidentally in the wrong, wrong course of action. Yeah, they did treat me like a monster, which is weird. <laughs> but I do think there is something about us, you know, like part of the fun of teaching. Like when even when you said, sorry, Oren, do you want to talk to my class? It's like there's a fun. I mean, obviously, Matt and I love talking about filmmaking. Uh and so to me that I thought there would be kind of like, um, yeah, like I'm, I'm going to tell you some things you're going to tell me like, mm-hmm. you know, the, like this exchange of ideas, which I think maybe is more of like a mixer <laughs> networking type of situation than it is like a teaching situation. I also I remember Justin Lerner, who's been on our podcast before, like a super mm-hmm. talented filmmaker, also w- was teaching uh, filmmaking classes in Guatemala, right? Yeah. Is that the country? Um and he had me speak to one of his students that was working on a short film and I gave her some advice that I thought was helpful. And then, you know, I never heard anything, but I guess that's just, that's teaching. Well, yeah. I guess in my like teacherly way, I'm like going to correct, not correct you, but like broaden like the definition of teaching a little bit. Like, I think a lot of people think of it like, I'm just going to like perform in front of these students. And um, yes, Sarah. and that's like how I started teaching. It was very much like, I'm going to share my knowledge. Um, it's sort of like, here's my stories about being on set or like, here's my experience from oh, making no, you a film. Let them, you give them five minutes at the end of class to ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that that is like one approach and it can work. But like, I have tried that and completely failed in like connecting to students and like helping them grow. And I think it took me like so many tries of teaching and like figuring out like what 
what is actually a good teacher? Um, like, do I need a lesson plan for not just the class, but like how they're going to build their skills over a semester or over a year? And like, how do I nurture them as they grow? And like, it just took me a really long time to figure that out. And it's more than just um, like being funny in front of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh um, sorry, sorry. You didn't realize that helping them was part of the goal. Oh, yeah. It depends what kind of teacher you are, probably. Well, I'm curious. So you're uh, in a film program and you're a tenured professor. You're a full-time professor, mm -hmm. right? That's like your main job. That's are there other job. professors or teachers that are like filmmakers that come for a semester? Or like how? Absolutely. Like I what? think... Um, most people start um, like I did as like an adjunct faculty, um, whether you're in like a private um, nonprofit university like like Stanford was. Um, <clears throat> not that I taught at Stanford, but I'm just saying, um, you know, there are private universities and then there are like public universities. And then in California, we have like the community college system and the state college system and the UC system. But I know your audience is like bigger than California. But, um, you know, you can either get like an adjunct lecturer, adjunct faculty job where you just teach one semester, one quarter for one class. Um, or you can be like a visiting faculty member. A lot of great film schools hire like one year visiting faculty members or two year. I think it's like a horrible practice in a way because a lot of them like basically kick you out after these one year contracts or two year contracts. And you're like, have to go around the country. I have friends who are wonderful filmmakers who are like, oh, I'm two years here, two years there. Mm -hmm. um, Can't put roots down. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really hard for people. Yeah. Um, though it could be a, a great opportunity as you like carve a path towards a longer position. But like if you go on any of these like academic job search sites, you'll see basically full-time positions, tenure track, um, or part-time positions, which are adjunct positions. I think the two things that I'm interested in are one, like the career, you know, making this a career and a living and having like mm -hmm. health insurance, all, all sorts of weird things that most, most filmmakers don't have. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But the other thing I'm very interested in is more like probably the stuff that applies to Matt and me, which is like, is there a way to be like, do you know working filmmakers that also are teaching and kind of making a living doing that or or do you know any professors that were teaching for a few years and then sold their screenplay to Universal Studios and then left teaching? Definitely it happens for sure. I mean, there are a lot of working filmmaker professors yeah. for sure, whether they're um, <clears throat> full time tenure track or tenured professors who are, you know, mostly teaching um, and then working on a lot of faculty like work on projects in the summer or mm -hmm. um you know they might sort of balance their work between one semester they have a higher teaching load at some colleges so this is like why where you teach is so important because like if you're gonna be like i know somebody who's like teaches documentary film at uc berkeley and they have a very what i would call very light <laughs> teaching load compared to what you would have at a community college, but they are expected to produce, you know, world-class documentaries. So mm -hmm. there's sort of a balance of if you're at, and I know, you know, people who are filmmakers who teach at UCLA, they have a very different teaching load than what I have. So I have a ridiculous teaching load at a community college as a full-time staff member. What's ridiculous? Like how many hours of class are you teaching? 
It's hard to measure in hours. So like if you look at faculty jobs or talk to faculty jobs, they'll say like, I have a 3-3 teaching load or a 5-5 or 2-2 or 2-1. And that just means like the number of classes each semester. So I in general have like a 3-4, which means like I have to teach seven classes a year. And each one of those classes has like 30 students. Some of them meet twice a week. Um, some of them meet once a week. It just depends on the class. Some of them are online. Some of them are in person which is like a whole new world online mm -hmm. and in-person mm -hmm. teaching. Um, but, you know, I'm on campus at least three days a week and then working from home and I've got office hours. Like I don't, I am working on my own creative projects. Like I am still writing scripts and I have writing group and I'm trying to get shorts made, but it's way slower during the term. And I work a lot more intensely in the summer on my personal projects. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I, as you were talking, it made me think of like the nature of, and I'm sure this is different from university to university, but like the expectations of a filmmaker being similar to, I don't know, like uh, people in the science department or something, right? Like where you're expected to kind of be uh, in the field or doing your own research or studies, right? Be, mm -hmm. Being active in the community that you're teaching and then also kind of alternating between that and bringing that experience back into the classroom, basically, and, and into the lecturing environment. So, um, yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah, we many colleges want, um, you know, a working cinematographer to teach your cinematography class. That's like the ideal thing. But often it happens that somebody who had a fantastic career as a cinematographer now wants to maybe um, work less because you can't if you have a college that requires that you do an in-person class twice a week, it's pretty hard to balance that for 16 weeks in a row to like, they don't yeah, pay freelancer. you, they don't pay you enough to like cut out all your other freelance obligations. Now it can work. There are a lot of adjuncts that teach like two or three classes, um, maybe just two classes and still keep up a creative practice or freelance work. Like I did several years where I was freelance producing and teaching as a part-timer. Um, so it's definitely possible. It's definitely like a crazy juggle and it's almost easier like to not have to just be like, I don't like I now turn down freelance work. I'm like, I just teach and I do my personal creative projects and try to make my own films because I can't make corporate films and teach and have any time left for my personal projects. There wouldn't yeah. be any. And you have a family and yeah. like all the and normal life stuff too. Yeah. Two kids. And it's like, let's say there's filmmakers listening now. Let's say, yeah. let's say it's someone who I'm just, just inventing a hypothetical person. She's mm -hmm. directed two independent features. Mm -hmm. One of them played at Sundance, but didn't win any awards. Uh, she worked as an editor full-time you know, for uh, Blumhouse and she maybe worked, did some fix it jobs on some movies. You might have heard of some smaller uh, movies. And now she wants to get a job teaching part time. Like what, how, how, how does she go about doing that? And like, what, mm -hmm. what is, what does the university or community mm -hmm. college need to I mean, see on her resume to get that job? She sounds awesome. I would love to hire her, but I wouldn't honestly hire this person, this imaginary person, if I was doing like leading a full-time job search, which, you know, I have in the past been involved in. And it's 
because you need teaching experience. And so like, there's that question, like, how do you get teaching experience without teaching experience, you know, without teaching? And so like, especially in this special, like very yeah, specialized so, field. So like, I think people care less about you having these as many accolades, like some, some proof of like, you're part of the industry. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be intimidated to apply for teaching jobs if you haven't had a film at Sundance. Like if you're part of the industry and you're, you've been on sets as a crew member and worked, you know, in, in different capacities, like you don't have to be like an award winner. Um, that's okay. But you do have to have like an, it is actually quite competitive to become a teacher and you have to show some passion and commitment to teaching. And that like Mm -hmm. takes time to nurture. And a lot of people, they might, um, and I know like I've heard the numbers for some of these prestigious school searches are like, you know, it's like getting into a film festival, like a prestigious Mm -hmm. film festival for these, you know, prestigious positions. There's hundreds of applicants. um, For like one position. For like a, like a full time good film school position, there will be hundreds of applicants. And earlier when you said, yeah. you, you know, you know, film yeah. professors, they get like year long contracts. Is yeah. that, that's a full-time job or that? Yeah. A- so they have like, if you go on to like, the, probably the most common academic website is like the Chronicle of Higher Education Jobs um, or Academic Jobs. They're both two websites. They're very similar, but Chronicle of Higher Education. Wait, it's it's Chronicle of Higher Education.com. It's like it's something like, like that. Something yeah. like that. Okay. Yeah. I Great. mean, you can just C-O-H-E. Yeah. yeah. Really boring title, but you will see like visiting. Um, they'll either call them like visiting artists or one-year faculty. They, there are these one-year full-time. Some of them are up to three years, but this is a pretty common thing. Like, mm-hmm. so so a lot of like great schools would like to bring in you as a as a working professional to teach for a year um, full-time. So that mm-hmm. is one option. But like, there are so many. Like, I started teaching like workshops for different nonprofit organizations. Like Mm -hmm. if I, if I was going back to that, I, you know, wanting to teach again, I would do that again, like workshops for different organizations, high school teaching, but not too much high school teaching. Like it's hard to make the transition. If you've been like 20 years at a high school and then they're like, Oh, I want to teach college. Like that's a difficult transition, but like one year at a high school looks really good. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a weird thing. I I think work experience, that makes a ton of sense. What about, um, education? What are, what are the expectations there specifically because filmmaking is so specialized Mm -hmm. and generally speaking, doesn't require an advanced degree. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or even, well, a, or even a degree in that field. That are, you know, yeah. That so like yeah. at a lot of colleges, um, a lot of private schools would require you to have an MFA, mm-hmm. but not like, like our call in California, it's a little different and there's different guidelines that you can look up, but basically you need a bachelor's plus industry experience is, um, you know, several years of industry experience at, at most of the, um, at many of the community college system. But then if you go into the CSUs or UCs or private colleges around the country, a lot of them are looking for that master's degree in product, if it's an MFA, or if you're going to be like a film studies professor. Now that's, that's what I mean by academia. And mm-hmm. I love film mm-hmm. studies and um, it's just not my area. But like, if you want to teach. You're saying like, as opposed to film production. As opposed to film production. So, if, you know, 
you can either be a film studies professor or a film production professor. And if you're going to be a film studies professor, whether that's history or, mm-hmm. or like, you know, analysis, theory, analysis, or, yeah, theory yeah. or history, you would yeah. need a PhD. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you're bringing all of my college days back to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm uh, sorry. No, no, okay. Well, and I, I was, uh, I was a, um, uh, critical studies majors what they call it at the time yeah, film theory you basically could totally be a critical studies professor but you now have to get a you have spent six years in a phd program real smarty pants and it, it's, it's, it's like i used to explain to people it's like oh it's like getting an english degree but instead of having to read i watch movies Sounds whereas it, it was um uh still paying for it production um you know it's like uh is more the hands-on like touching cameras it was uh Being nerds outside. versus jocks basically that's why um, i think i have the best job because we just like play with cameras yeah. and make movies all day um and i don't have to read like hundreds of papers well let me tell you if describe a fantasy that i bet a lot of filmmakers have and mm-hmm. tell me how far <laughs> from yeah. reality this is okay and what let's they say, would have to change to, yeah. to make it a reality let's yeah. say you're someone like me yeah. made a couple movies nobody's ever heard of Directed some some commercials. I've heard of them. Um, And my dream is to go spend a year in Tuscany. And I think, oh, maybe while I'm there, I can teach a film production class. You know, and maybe I'll get paid a little bit and meet some people. How realistic is that? I think you can totally do that, Orin. I think you would be an asset to any program. Um, And there's a lot of like study abroad programs that would be hiring a visiting faculty member like i think it's feasible you just would need to do your research like who's running film programs in italy like i know i could get hired like it's not about being a hollywood filmmaker like i could get hired to do, do one of these summer abroad programs whether it's right, for but college you're a or high school tenured professor at many yeah. different colleges <laughs> like, like you have better cr- filmmaker credentials right but I how much education but I would they you, you you have they wouldn't a care how much I've taught. Um, well, if it's like USC or NYU, they probably would. I mean, it depends what you're, you know, is it really so you're saying a status the, thing? Like, the I don't, USC I don't know. and Tuscany program would be different than the local Tuscan exactly. you, film school. There's a lot of range. What if instead of an Italian um year abroad or in his dreaming of like oh you know uh i want to go to denver to like hang out for a year family in denver yeah international versus domestic is is there a difference there i think there are um lots of places that um sort of short-term workshops you can get involved in but like Mostly the college system, it's not looking for visitors, except for these rare, like visiting faculty for one year, visiting artist positions. There are those, but like the adjuncts, like we have an adjunct been with us 18 years in my department. Like a lot of the adjuncts, they get like the right to keep being part time. There's a lot, there is all the public schools, there's a lot of unions that protect our rights. Yay. Um, And so there's, um, so there is, and even at some of the private schools, there are some unions that protect your rights. So you have the, you know, rehire rights after maybe you've been there three semesters. But at the same time, like a lot of part-time faculty all over the country totally get screwed. Um, and I don't want to like, I know there's a lot of bitterness and um, 
sadness about the exploitation of like film faculty all over the country. So that definitely happens. Like, and it's are not they that- getting screwed by being underpaid? There are so many ways they're getting screwed. Like, like for example, and I've had this happen to me where you get hired for like two out of every three semesters and then again for two out of every three semesters because they know they have to give you health insurance if they hire you three semesters in a row or something, depending on the college. So like mm. I've heard this sort of story from other people or you um, you get offered a class that you know, they know you're not ready to teach. Like you'd be like, I'm a film professor. Why are you offering me like, um, you know, some sort of public speaking classes. I'm not a public speaking professor. Like they'll just offer you some weird class because if you refuse it, then they don't have to like rehire you. So there's a lot of ways or they'll cancel your class last minute. People have had that happen. It's like, there's a lot of sad stories about academics. I don't want to make it all rosy, but <laughs> right. I still- Is your pay directly correlated to how many classes you're teaching? For part-time people, yes. For full-time people, um, you know, you're expected to teach a certain number of classes and then you get a salary. So, so it is correlated, I guess, but, um, but most people around the country are, you know, the majority of faculty, whether they're film or, um, or any subject, like there's still like when we went to college, like our professors weren't all part-timers, but nowadays so many people are part-timers. Um, like I think it's the majority of classes in this country are taught by part-time faculty, oh, interesting. Um, which is crazy, but also like could be really great for a working filmmaker who just wants to teach like one class a semester and be like an editor and have that do it. Not necessarily for the money though, because the money's mm-hmm. usually pretty bad, but because they really love that experience. Right. Yeah. But even if the money's bad, it's, and I, you know, it's consistent and yeah, and well, it can, at least and for it a few can off, months, And it can right? be, it can be consistent year round. Like you can, you know, we have plenty of adjuncts in our department or at other colleges I worked with who, you know, are there for years, have really good relations with the departments they work with, get health insurance, you know, it's, it is. So you can't have that go on mm-hmm. for a long time if you form a relationship with a department um, and a college you like. So mm-hmm. Yeah, so kind of integrate into it. I'm curious, can you give us the range of what, you know, what we're saying, good money versus bad money, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and you live in the Bay Area, which is, you know, arguably the most expensive. Yeah. Uh, I guess New York <laughs> might can, be like, more expensive. You, you know, can, like it's really bad. And I mean, it's one of those situations. And I, when I mean bad, I mean, like, I think a lot of faculty, adjuncts, faculty members, they're, they're working pretty hard, maybe not year round. And they're making 50 to 100K a year working very hard. Um, so. And even less. I mean, if you look That's at like, like a natu- full-time adjunct professor, it's ha- like you're capped at like 70% time for adjuncts for a lot of places. It depends on like the, the place you're working. There's a lot of rules. It's really boring. You don't want to talk about that, but basically it's really hard. And if you're like a full-time faculty member around the country in film, you're looking at like 70 to 150K a year, depending on the school. And there's a lot of transparency over salaries um, because a lot of our positions are unionized or a lot of um, people are, um, you know, it's not like secretive, like maybe a lot of Hollywood jobs are. So you can just like look up these these positions online. So I'm not, I'm not secretive about right. it. So um, 
you know, it takes a while. I, I think imagine. Like, I, I think I made more as an intern in graduate <laughs> school than I did when I was starting as a full-time it's a full-time tenure tracker i'm curious about how it compares because you know i think depending on what part of the country you live in yeah 125 grand a year might yeah, be may, no, might very, not be so bad. Yeah. it could be great buy a house yeah. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. compared to you know your days when you were crewing when you were freelance producing i imagine you probably saw a lot of other people's day rates and stuff as well um is there a general sense that you make more or less money teaching versus I freelancing? Think, um, it's a complicated question. I think if you're mm-hmm. like a super successful, um, you know, if you're getting gigs like all the time, you mm-hmm. would make more. If you're like a corporate, you work on corporate films because that's the Bay Area. There's tons of corporate work and you're mostly doing like sound mixing Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. you could be make a thousand dollars a day um and you're not going to make that teaching Mm -hmm. but it's steady work i get a lot of great benefits i have like a pension i have a retire you know i have health care i have so much vacation like i work so hard during the semester but then i like have my time and you know as a as a parent, having that time in the summer with my kids or over the mm-hmm. winter holidays, it's like it kind of lines up really well with school. Um, it's like less, my semester is like less than school. So like they go back a week before I go back and they I finish a week before they finish for like both. And so that oh, is so you get an gorgeous. extra week yeah. on each end <laughs> yeah. while you're. It's pretty. Oh boy. It, yeah. It, so that, no, I actually get more than that in the, in the spring. So I get like like three extra weeks. So I get time um, for my, for me, that's like my creative development time, but, um, or my family time, you know, but so there's a lot of benefits, but the pay is not great. And it's like really, yeah, things are hard in the Bay area. I, you know, I have, also a, not I have a husband who like works in tech. So like mm-hmm. that really helps, but that's the Bay area. Yeah. 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 But you're not hustling to book those other jobs in the way that like, I think yeah. a lot of people, start freelancing because they want to make their own movies. They want to make their own shorts or indie features or whatever. And not only are they uh, working super hard to just to make ends meet, but they're also spending the time that they would have uh, developed where they could be developing their own work, just trying to find the next gig. I completely Mm -hmm. like agree. And I, I saw that really early. I was like, I want to be a filmmaker but I don't find a lot of joy in like making like I was editing financial videos and I was like, mm-hmm. I, this is I kill- like financial video. What? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, or he does actually. Okay. Do well, like these were now. pretty painful. I'm uh, some of them were good. I, I tried to get creative, but it was hard. Um, but in, 401ks. This was in yeah. when I lived in London. So it was oh, wow. a, yeah, it was a different time. But fish um, and chip steals. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. go on. Um, okay. Anyways, the point is like I was like, how do I make this work? And I I just thought like the only way it's gonna work is just like I need to be a full time professor, have like sabbaticals, have summers, like mm-hmm. then I can meet indie 
and then I can like do the indie thing. Like I, I took a group of students as volunteers to Sundance and I met this other professor there and he was like, yeah. And he had a film in a short in Sundance. I can't remember his name. It was like Robert something. He was really cool. Hi, Robert. But um, he was just like, he made a film with like his student that got into Sundance and it was beautiful. And he was doing what I'm trying to do, but haven't yet done where you're like having your own independent artistic life and a fulfilling but incredibly draining and not that well-paying teaching career like right. i don't want to glamorize it like it's super hard that is a dream to like meet some prodigy student and have them make a short film with you yeah his, and then get credit for student it was his dp <laughs> i thought a fun exercise we could do would be to have sarah tell us what classes she teaches and you and me matt <laughs> Uh, decide whether we think we could teach those classes. Oh, or that's not. fun. That's well, fun. they're not as exciting. I mean, like, of course, you can definitely. I teach community college. I teach at the moment. I teach three sections of intro to film production. Do you think you could teach that? Uh, I mean, yes and no. I don't yeah. know. Like, the hard part would <laughs> yeah. be to figure out what yeah. that means. What that entails. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is very much a like all in one, here's your introduction to film production, here's the camera, here's lights, here's microphones, here's editing, here's script writing, here's how you work as a group, let's make a short film. Um, so it's very um, it's very fun and very hands-on, um, but it's very much an intro level of everything. I also teach intermediate version of that, um, and I also teach digital editing um, on Premiere at the moment, and sometimes I teach script writing depending on the semester. But it's very... Um, it's very much like, oh, and, and I'm teaching virtual production this spring, which I'm terrified for, but I'm learning it as fast as I can. Yeah. I mean, I would say for me, I feel confident about the soft skills more than the hard skills, just generally speaking, right? Like talking to an actor or working with actors or even writing, all of that stuff is really straightforward for me. But I think as a director, it's easy to think you know how to do something because you've seen someone do it a million times when you haven't literally done it yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like I know all of the, uh, the abstract or big picture ideas about things, but like if someone put a camera in my hand that I wasn't intimately familiar with from a, like from a, just a menu perspective, immediately I'd be like, uh, okay, great. Give me, hold on. Let me, give me your phone real quick. Let me just Google something, you know, like you figure it out, but like you're not conversant in whatever that is, you know? Yeah. One thing I've learned from like teaching is like, I used to be so worried that like, I don't, there's like, they've made an update in the software. I don't know how to use it yet. How can I teach it? Or like, I'm not very good at setting up a C stand. Ah, but like, I have come to the point, and that this sounds maybe like arrogant, but or not, I'm not sure which one, how to use that word. But it's like, I'm very honest with my students. Like, I do not know everything. Let's learn how to do things together. Like, let's question things. Like, I'm not an encyclopedia. If we need to look something up, let's do it together. Or like, I'll say to a student, someone asked me, what's the shortcut key for this? Like, how to re like, and I was like, I don't know. Let's look it up. You tell me. And I think just like people shouldn't be that scared of teaching and think of themselves as like facilitators or collaborators. Um, you don't have to be like 
a guru. A guru. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mm-hmm. could have that mentality of like, I am the guru and the knowledge th- flows one way right. from me, but like. I mean, it's such a subjective art form too. Yeah. Like, I'm curious about teaching digital editing. Do you have a textbook? I don't. Um, for my intermediate students, I do make them read like In the Blink of an Eye, which is like the Walter Murch sort of like classic essay. Um, but I don't have a textbook. No, I post like a lot of, um, I share a lot of clips from things that are current that students might connect with or be interested in. And we have like discussions and I'll share like different essays. I think I've shared um, you like this really great Just Shoot It podcast when um, you talk to editors. Sometimes I'll say, hey, everyone needs to listen to this for homework. <laughs> I have definitely done that. Um, yeah, but um, cool. yeah, it'll just, it's it's not a textbook, but it's me walk, walking them through editing exercises and building their skills as they go from like, just like software interface to like, uh, to becoming storytellers through editing, but it's like a long journey. It takes like a year. And so you do talk about like L cuts and pre-lapse and and all that stuff. But like, I don't even, even though like I've edited for like money, I don't have to know everything. Like I'm, I don't have to be like the best editor ever or like, you know, I haven't won an Oscar in editing. Um, but I can help students learn the basic tools to start doing it. Um, and, you know, looking at a cut and talking about like, what does that feel like to you? Um, so I guess like you should start teaching where <laughs> you feel comfortable having conversation, but you know, I wouldn't, if someone was like, you are going to teach a USC graduate seminar on like cinematography. I'd be like, uh, no, <laughs> I'm not. But there's definitely things I can't teach. Um, but I think I can teach like a lot of intro level stuff and it just depends. You don't have to be like that far ahead of your students. I guess my, sorry, my last question about that, sorry, Matt to interrupt, but I'm just really curious because when I was in college, I had, you know, I'd used Adobe Premiere on windows 98 and barely worked, you know, um, I imagine the students coming into your class now have all watched like a thousand tutorials and know, Mm -hmm. understand editing and seen video essays and the nerd is Mm-hmm. Uh, or nerd writer. No, 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 no. They're like not my students. Like maybe at a certain level, I guess it just depends. I mean, they don't I come was... in and say like, "Well, Nolan said this in an interview about how ed- sound should be used." <laughs> like one out of thirty, but most of them are just like, I-, "I like movies, but I've never made them." Um, I make some TikTok videos, or a lot of them make like YouTube content. But um, it just depends on your film school. Probably it's different at different programs. Minor isn't my, YouTube content movies? Yeah, you, YouTube content is movies, and I love my um, content creators in my class. And many of them dream of now they just are like, I want to be a content creator when I grow up. I get a lot of that, um, which is awesome, um, and I encourage their passions. Um, but um, yeah, I think that. Um, most of them don't know much more than me. I would say like, I'm not that worried about it. Like maybe they do, but then I can learn from them. Like maybe that would be really great. Like I've definitely learned from some of my students and they've shown me how to do things or told me about cool movies and that's fun. Yeah. I I feel like you're, you're ignoring that. Like most of them are 18 Oren. So like, well, I feel like my number one people I'm pitching against when I'm working on commercials is like 18 year old kids with like amazing Instagram. <laughs> no, really? They're, really? they're 29 yes. or in that's they're probably yeah. 29. There's yeah. a big difference yeah. between 
an 18 year old who's like wants to be a content creator and a 29 year old who's been like learning their art form for mm -hmm. the past 12 years and like so yeah yeah, yeah. definitely um I, you, I was circling back a little bit i i feel like a, a thing that you're highlighting that i think is a good takeaway whether you're a student or an aspiring teacher or just a straight filmmaker um is like in this day and age, self-education and problem solving is really the name of the game, right? I think there was an era back in the day where, look, there were three cameras that you shot movies with. And so you needed to know all of them and you needed to know your film stocks or whatever. And it was, it was a knowable amount of technical knowledge that you needed to have. And that, those days are gone, right? And so um, having a conversation um, about how to troubleshoot something is really most of it right like no one is going to walk in and know every single camera it's impossible it's unknowable basically and i i love that very much before we end the episode i just wanted to get just a little piece of advice from you to our listeners if they are maybe their unions on strike maybe they've come to realize that their freelance uh fun fancy hustling lifestyle is a uh, scary and they want to dip their toe in teaching and maybe exploring, uh, you know, be, being teachers of filmmaking. Um, but they don't have an MFA and they don't have a lot of experience, you know, teaching. Uh, what, what's a good way to start and kind of get into it and see if you're even into it? You definitely shouldn't be intimidated if you don't have an MFA. So we'll just start there. So please go into teaching, even if you don't have an MFA, it just it might take time or a different path. But you should start thinking about like, where do you want to teach and look at all the teaching programs in your area in general. Um, so like, there's a, depending on where you live, there might be programs that are like private programs, there might be, pro, you know, community college programs, there might be four year college programs. Um, so just you can just is like, there like high school stuff, even like there's, there is a ton of high school stuff. Um, so yes, look into high school teaching. Um, and then like you could network with local people and just get get the lay of the land. Like I have mm -hmm. in in the Bay Area, I've taught at five different higher education places like and that's coming in with some experience. But, you know, the very first teaching I did that was film related was like a three day. There was some sort of like film festival for students and they wanted to have some like fun workshops at the festival. And I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I was like corporate filmmaking, but I thought like I, and I just volunteered and taught some um, high school kids, some filmmaking. It was so much fun and so rewarding. So like, see if you like it. <laughs> That's a good thing. Um, if you get the standing ovation, mm -hmm. th then you should definitely keep going. I don't know if you just, just a random technical question about that. Yeah. Let's say one of our listeners is in Nebraska and there's the yeah. Nebraska film festival and they're like, Hey, we want to teach some high school kids how to make films. Do you need to bring cameras or is it like, I mean, I feel like nowadays yeah. it's like just everyone shoot it on your phone I, and we'll I think so. Yeah, just shoot it on your phone and just edit it together. Like depending where you go, there's going to be like a huge range of facilities. So like if you're just doing some random workshop, like kid, teenagers have phones these days. So yeah, start with what you have available to you. Don't feel like, oh, I can't teach because I don't have 25 DSLR cameras in my garage. Like that, you don't need that. Well, sorry. This has been great. Super helpful. Let me. I'm, I have one final question, actually. Big picture question for you. You teach a lot of intro to filmmaking. Is there any big picture 
takeaways you want your your students to leave the end of the semester? Is there any any broader highfalutin ideals besides like filmmaking is great and they can do it? I mean, I always tell them filmmaking is problem solving. You know, it's not about a, learning a specific technique. It's really about seeing how you can help each other. And I always want them. I'd rather they be like a good person than a good filmmaker um, mm-hmm. and leave higher education with the goal of being a better person. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have to be an amazing artist, but if they can be like a helpful friend to their mm-hmm. classmates. Like, like a, that's like great. a patron even like maybe like they could. Yeah, definitely <laughs> patron. That's the lesson. Oh, oh my God. I forgot the lesson being a patron of um, just shoot it. That's the first thing they should do because it will like definitely like will enhance their education for years to come. Well, at least they should get a little extra credit. I, I would hope. <laughs> oh, totally. I offer extra credit for that. No. <laughs> Uh, I do think, though, it's not a bad idea if you are a film in, in film education to uh, assign our podcast mm-hmm. to your students mm-hmm. and just have them listen to every episode. Just have it. They don't even have to listen. Just have them play it on their podcast. Yeah. If they could smash that like button and uh, leave a comment for it to friends. Yeah. It's a good idea. No, I mean, I, I'm like this, you know, I don't assign a lot of podcasts, but I, I think actually... Honestly, I, I usually do like once a semester be like, hey, there's podcasts. Here are five great episodes of different. I mean, you're one of them, obviously. But here are some. What different, are the other ones? Um, Script notes. <laughs> um, anyway. Ble- no, bleep those out first, please. Thank <laughs> yes, you. Bleep, okay. bleep, bleep. Um, there are some wonderful film podcasts, obviously this one. And I just want students to know about them as a resource because sometimes people are really like, they only go to YouTube, which is great. Right. But I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. we're on YouTube too, so that's good. yeah. You just like get so much more in depth than you. I don't what, know. what else? Team Deacons. What's what are Team the what are good. I mean, there's um, I there's there's been like a couple different shorter running editing podcasts that have mm. been interesting. I think Art Art of the Cut is a pretty oh, yes. good one. Making movies is hard. Um, it's a good one. Post in Black. Um, you know. Um, Editors of uh, Color, um, it's a really interesting oh, podcast, cool. sort of that experience. Sound School podcast, if they just want to think about po- um, sound, script notes, of course, Team Deacons, um, the DGA Director's Cut, the Editing Podcast, the Editor's Cut. Um, oh, the no, Rough Cut is one. No I... Film School, the Rough Cut. Okay, I'm going to add that to my list. Thanks for the recommendation. For, for full transparency, I think it was recommended on this podcast and okay. I started downloading it, but I've yet to listen okay. to an episode. Okay. But they have like the Righteous Gemstones editor, oh. Jury Duty, Gran Turismo, like legitimate no, I- I learned so much, Um, but some of them feel like kind of like super promotional and that annoys me. But like if they really ask about the craft and I, I always learn from podcasts, which is like, Oh, the screenwriting life we were. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's a great one. one. It's a very supportive community. So lots of great podcasts. Uh, This has been great. Uh, Do you have a few more minutes to hang out and endorse with us? Absolutely. Unpaid endorsements. I've got two. They're pretty mad and low. Kicking it off. This season of Righteous Gemstones, I'm loving. I don't know um, if people... It's back on. We're in season three. You know, people aren't really talking about that show very much, but I feel like... um, People secretly like it very much. I I like it very much, and it's 
only gotten better. I think the characters have gotten richer. They figured out how to bring out the comedy a little bit more. The criticisms of like, you know, maybe not every character is super grounded is right on. That's true. Like there are things that Danny McBride's character does or like all the whole cast where it's like no one would be like, yes, and also I'm going to go to your church and be a devout follower of you when you do and say these things. So you have to kind of like go through, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit, but, um, but I've really been enjoying it. And it does this cool tonal thing from the very beginning where they're mixing really pretty broad comedy with like this kind of gangster film 70s mentality that's that's pretty mm-hmm. fun so i i i'm still loving it season three uh we're getting more of my favorite character bj he's the funniest he's doing some crazy stuff and my other one actually is Oren talks about his tesla all the time he's such a not, tesla not, guy not on the not on the podcast i'm not a you had, I'm not a muskhead. Just you have wondering. definitely endorsed your Tesla multiple times on the podcast, Oren. It has not been multiple like, times. Been like, oh, the cameras on my Tesla are so great. So, um, uh, I'm teasing you a little bit. It is a cool car, but if you are uh, in the market for a new car, you want to go electric, but you're like, hey, I don't have eighty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars to spend on a car. Because you're record, like a community college it's, it's, professor. For the record, it's half the price of what it, you just said. But it's yeah. sixty thousand dollars. Um, their uh, model three is forty two thousand dollars right now. Is that true? Yes. Don't. Yeah. It's it's For, forty two after the rebate or before. Uh, sticker I price. What's the sticker price? Four. I think it's after. Anyway, if you're and in California the market, now, has like an extra two thousand dollar rebate on electric cars. If you were if you were in the market for an electric car, you're curious about it. The tricky thing is that like buying them used is not going to save you a ton of money. You basically should just buy them new because the markdown is like a few thousand dollars. But the Bolt, uh, the Chevy Bolt is the car that we just recently purchased. You get a nice $7,500 rebate, tax rebate for buying it new. It's an all electric car and they retail for about $30,000. So like that's a that's a manageable amount of money. And do you get the full $7,500 federal if you, rebate? If you buy it new. Yeah. Yeah. And and qualifies it qualifies it is the cheapest car on the that list of qualifications okay. of, of which there are very few cars actually it's like right. basically the tesla and the bolt and like maybe one or two other things but it is by far the cheapest of uh, all electric vehicles that get that that tax rebate so if you're thinking about it um and you're like a little unsure we are now a two-car family this was our second car but for a long time we were a single car family and it is awesome um, to have an electric car with the big caveat that you have to live in a place where you're allowed to charge your car. So like if you have a house and you can install a charger, most places will um, give you uh, some sort of incentive or rebate or money towards installing a charger. Um, and oftentimes apartment complexes are like that as well. But basically, if you can live at a gas station, more more or less, then it is significantly more convenient than a gas car. It's also like way cheaper and way cheaper um, than yeah. gas. By yeah. the way, Model Three brand new sticker price pre rebate is forty thousand two forty mm-hmm. for the rear wheel drive. So they're they you with stand the rebate. I stand corrected. With the rebate, it's like yeah, thirty one thousand or something. Okay, Sarah, what do you got? 
Yeah, I can't quite afford an electric car yet, but maybe someday um, I would love one. Um, so I have a book that I loved. I just read it recently. It's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Um, I don't know if it's been endorsed on this. I don't think no. so. I like mm-hmm. It's by uh, Gabrielle Zavine. It's a novel and it's just like about these video game designers over like their relationship over the course of decades. And I really think filmmakers would love it because it's super visual and it's like about the art of storytelling, but it's also this beautiful, complicated relationship. I'm not even a fast reader. I remember Oren said he's a slow reader. <laughs> Maybe. Is that true? Um, yeah. But it's just, um, I just like, I couldn't put it down. It was one of those books. Um, and I just, I loved it. So I can't wait to read her other work. I'm like, the, she looks so young in the picture. And I'm like, how did you make this masterpiece? Because it, it really is good. It looks pretty new. Like it just came out. Yeah. I think it's just this year. Can but- you explain to me? Why, like on Amazon, the hardcover is $14 and the paperback is $19? I mm. cannot explain that to you. This is the kind of thing I'd mm. ask you to do Some your own research and academia. explain to me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like publishing deal complications? I don't know how that all works, but it doesn't make sense to me. Um, but anyways, get it from the library, but you'll probably have a long waiting list. I don't know. Someone like gave me a copy and I just loved it. Um, and then my other endorsement, I don't know if it's been endorsed, um, which is somebody somewhere, the TV show. Um, I, I think it's like also a crime podcast, but I'm not talking about the crime, true crime podcast. I'm talking about the HBO, um, comedy and it's just a beautiful, um, it has so much like humanity. I like laugh and I cry. Um, I'm not quite done with it cause I'm also, like I watch like half an hour of TV every like once in a while and then I fall asleep. So I've um, never even heard of this show. It's yeah, I really I think you should have them as guests. I just like the way they make that show is I think like her parents play the parents, really, mm-hmm. um, which is crazy. They're like these Kansas farmers um, who are so crotchety and like real um there's sort of like this docu style but there's a ton of heart in it it's beautiful um it's just different from other shows so highly recommend it i don't know um much about the creation but i'd love to hear more about it EP'd from the by the duplass brothers yeah they just do an awesome job so that's my uh current viewing that i'm enjoying cool i'm gonna check out both those things so uh podcast i i don't think i've recommended this before matt tell me if i did but it's called case 63 oh i love that oh it's so Have good you listened to it oh good i listened to all of it it's from gimlet media it's with oscar isaacs mm, i've uh-huh. heard the the trailer many so, many times so good. Oh, and, and julianne and- moore and literally it's just them and there's like a couple other like few lines from some other actors later on but it's just the two of them um and it's 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 sci-fi mm-hmm. and it's like really captivating from the get-go and it's like if i told you what it's about you'd be like i've heard this story a bazillion times there's no reason i would even care to tune into this two people talking in a room and it's like so good i listened to the whole thing in one day um and when the credits roll it's like created by this guy edited by this person sound engineering by this person mm-hmm. and that's it it's like five people made this podcast awesome. <laughs> it's like awesome. so good and it's dialogue driven and the performances you know, are so good and the story writing is so good yeah no, yeah it's I, just I, um, I endorse yeah. your endorsement 100%. thank you um the other thing 
and I have a bad habit of doing this, endorsing things I've never used before, but I've seen people use it on YouTube. It's this, there's this site, it's called krotosaudio.com and they have, it's Krotos Studio, K-R-O-T-O-S. And it's kind of like this sound effect creation platform, but you know, like when you're looking for the perfect whoosh to go mm-hmm. along with your video and it's like, there's either you find a whoosh in your library that's like, and then you find one that's like, but what you need is like, like something like that long. And it's really hard. And, and this kind of lets you play the sound effect. So you can kind of drag like a whoosh out and you can drag it faster. Mm-hmm. And if you drag it higher, it's like bassier, you know, if you drag it like lower is it's it like just whooshes or is it no it's like fire effects it's it's fabrics it's um mm-hmm. ominous tones it's ambience like uh like ooh, spooky strings mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. and then like you can if you move it it's like so it's kind of like you're scoring the sound design but it's like an instrument al- almost and you just mm-hmm. use your mouse to just move a cursor like make it scarier make it brighter make it slower make it faster you know a helicopter or like make it farther, make it closer. And it's like, that's my thing with sound effects. I find that I'm always like finding almost the right thing. Like sure. you, know, you get the telephone. I mean, especially with whooshes. Yeah. Whooshes like, and swooshes are kind of like the, the biggest thing. And like, if you can tell me the difference between a whoosh and a swish, I'll give you $1. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. It's like 40 cents worth. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, it's kind of like a cool idea, like playing your sound effects and it might be might be a solution for something uh, that you might be going through right now. Just finding the exact right whoosh. How can how can listeners keep in touch, keep track of what's going on in your world? Or even take your take a class or take a class from me. You could totally take a class from me, um, though you might have to be in the East Bay. um, But um, we have some online classes. Um, So, yeah, I guess I'm on I'm not super into social media, but I am on Twitter at Sara Films. So my first name is spelled strangely. It's S-A-H-R-A and the word films. Um, So I'm on Twitter, though. It's like an occasional picture of my child or like mm. some angry post about like gun control and you're um, talking about x right the that twitter oh, x yeah that twitter yeah I, yeah i mean i feel kind of yeah. yucky being on it now but i don't know what else to do and i really i'm 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 not um yeah i'm not on instagram <laughs> and i'm not mm-hmm. on um, much else um so yeah anyone can reach out to me it's even if, like questions about teaching or, you know, if you want to, like, produce my next feature, you know, that's good, too. I'm always looking for collaborators. Valid reasons to reach out, for sure. Um, well, if you have any additional questions you want us to forward along, you can always hit us up at justshootitpod at gmail.com. Um, and we're across all social media at justshootitpod as well. And I'm at Mr. Badenlow across all so- social media, including Letterboxd. I'm at O'Kaplan on Instagram and threads and wherever else. LinkedIn. I'm trying to get more into LinkedIn, as we've heard before. Uh, this episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Our producer is Tyler Small. Uh, the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye.